is 502 and you are tuned in to KZMU Moab Community Radio. I'm Molly Marcello, your host of This Week in Moab. This evening, uh, we are here for the next hour talking to some folks and we're going to start off with Moab City engineer Chuck Williams. Um, He's here to talk about um, mainly a big um, repair project that's going on on 100 West, starting pretty much immediately. Is that right, Chuck? Yeah, we mobilized in today and we're going to start tomorrow morning with the drilling. Okay. So it's happening. It's happening. This is um, permanent waterline repair work. Um, tell us what happened. I know it was is flood related. So what happened on 100 West? So in the August 20th flooding event, which was our large 100 year event, um, Mill Creek ran uh, big and scoured out the existing 12 inch waterline that ran under Mill Creek. Now it was buried to a depth of about five feet, um, and it was a World War II era line, wow. uh, meaning that it was made out of cast iron. And it's been on our list of projects to get to. And uh, during that event, it it broke, so we had to get to it. And so, as a result, we put in a temporary fix, which was to put a 12-inch water line over the pedestrian bridge over Mill Creek near Zach's parking lot mm-hmm. in the Gonzo Inn. And that's been in place since then and, and functioning. But we knew that was only a temporary fix all along. And uh, that bridge was never designed for that type of weight from that uh, 12 inches of water that goes across that bridge. So we've been working to get a specialty contractor available and under contract in order to make the permanent repair. And with the permit, and why I say especially contractors, we know that we want to be deeper than the five feet that was there before. Uh, we want to be about 15 feet deep because we've analyzed the scour potential along Mill Creek there, and it's on the range of 10 to 13 feet. It's not that exact of a science, but it's a it's in that range. So we want to be at least 15 feet, plus the material that we're going to put in there is a uh, HDPE, high-density polyethylene material, that's much stronger uh, than the old cast iron. It doesn't, uh, okay. you know, uh, it doesn't rust out at, at the very least, um, and it's got some flexibility to it if it does if it were to move a bit. Though we don't anticipate that. Um, so we're going to need, the technique we're going to use is called horizontal directional drilling. So we have a drilling contractor who will drill under the creek all the way across, and then they grab the replacement line and pull it back through the hole that they've just created uh, under uh, underground. Wow. So this is a little bit different than your normal replacement. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, normally... Normally, you know, the typical thing is to go in and trench um, and then fill in the trench and place it. But because we're under the creek, um, you know, we could have done that, but there are environmental permits that are difficult, not difficult, but would take more time to get in all likelihood. Okay. And this technique, uh, we don't disturb the riparian area around the creek, right? So that's a, a good thing about doing the directional drilling. Um, 
and it gives us the depth. It's a, it's a proven technology. It's just that um, you usually don't use it except for places where you need to get underneath something um, that you can't go through, <laughs> if you will. All right. So this is a major project. Now, this is going to affect, again, the 100 West area. Um, how, how is this going to affect like homes and businesses along the route? Yeah. So two things in answer to that question is during the construction, the sidewalk along 100 West, as it turns into 100 South, is going to be closed. Uh, we, fen- we have fenced that off. Um, we also have closed off that uh, southern portion of Zach's parking lot with fencing and the bridge will be closed for the duration. This project should take three to four weeks, um, hopefully three, but we, you know, we don't know until we get into the drilling uh, subsurface conditions. Uh, and then the answer to your question is, so during construction and most of the drilling, uh, there should be no disturbance uh, with water service. But at some point, once the new lot, new pipe is through the under the creek, we'll have to connect on both sides of the creek. It's about 600 feet distance we're talking about. Um, during that time frame, there will be a shutdown of water for, and it's, the, it's going to be the same people who were shut down in August 20th from the breakdown. And if I recall, it's about 24. Uh, lots some businesses and some uh, private uh, homes and we'll give those folks 48 hours notice minimum and we're hoping that that can be done in a day right. for the, uh, the the turnover and i wouldn't see that happen for a couple of weeks okay um and you said total project timeline ideally three weeks potentially four weeks what about the rest of moab um as far as damages with the flood i mean is this this is the major major water line replacement right are there any other projects that your department engineering department has yes um actually (laughs) i bet as as soon as we're done with we didn't want to put it all on the paper now because we thought it was too much. Um, As soon as our contractors are done with 100 West waterline replacement, they're going to mobilize over to 400 East where we have the same scenario. Mm -hmm. The the, uh, temporary waterline is on the bridge. Right. Uh, And so they'll go over and we'll do the same thing. And and we'll do a press release when that happens with some specifics. Um, That's going to require a shutdown of one lane of 400 East for about three weeks. Okay. Uh, in order to do that, and we'll have traffic lights up and things like that. Um, and then the other thing we're about to start into is the uh, all of our bridges uh, need to be uh, reinforced with uh, stabilizing materials right around the structures. Okay. Because that flood washed away uh, vegetation, dirt, and rock that we had around those bridges. So we've now got about 500 tons of rock uh, sitting up off of Aggie Boulevard that we'll be starting in the next two weeks, strategically placing that rock around the bridge abutments and the piers so that if we do get flooding, the structures themselves should be protected. That's temporary while we um, are going into design of long-term stream bank stabilization for those structures. Um, and that'll, that'll take, you know, probably 
four months worth of engineering and we're waiting for proposals right now. Um, and then there will be probably another three months of permanent uh, stabilization of those structures. We also have the sidewalks and the guardrails and handrails and the parkway. Mm -hmm. And all of those are in motion. What's part of what slowed us down is we've had to uh, been trying to engage with the federal agencies to see if we'd be eligible for funding. We don't think anyone is going to give us any money, but most of our facilities were insured through our insurance trust. So I've been working with them and we got our first check on Friday um, to help go pay for these permanent water line repairs. Okay. So there is more that needs to be done and we're working it with to get it done, but it's, we can only do so much at a time and we have to prioritize what to get done first. And the uh, water line was the first priority, maintaining the integrity of the bridges is the second. And then the rest will be after that for the getting the parkways open. You said, you know, it's not likely people or any agency will give you any money. <laughs> is that because of the, you know, the scale of Moab City and the flood? I feel like there were a lot of loopholes that we, f you know, fell out of, I suppose. Yeah. So as an example, um, in order to be eligible for FEMA funds during an event like that happened, the state has to have about $6 million worth of damages. Well, the state barely got that because there were some damages in uh, Wayne County. And we submitted this, governor submitted the package on October 19th, and we still haven't heard back from FEMA. I talked to him on uh, Friday. <laughs> And uh, we're waiting for a decision. And, and I, I think it's just a matter of relative scale. Uh, you know, when you look at what happened in the Florida Keys or those uh, hurricanes come through and they, they punch out a billion dollars worth of damages versus our $5 million worth of damages. I'm, I'm not sure that the federal emergency response agencies are geared up to address what seem to be smaller events compared to those larger events. And it's something I could use some work on, but we've, we've been very diligent about being in contact with them. We have weekly phone calls or every other week phone calls trying to uh, get that money, <laughs> but it's now and there's some decision makers hands. Right. So right now it's an insurance question. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right now, it's working with the insurance company. And, and, and part of the issue there is that uh, certainly the bridges are covered because we had them on the schedule of the insurance and knew that and the water lines are covered. Um, there's some gray areas about the other things that weren't like sidewalks and handrails, right. mm -hmm. retaining walls, uh, cleaning out the dirt, you know, all the, all the uh, costs that the city's incurred from cleaning up the streets after that flood. Right. You know, we're hopeful that we can get reimbursed at least at some level from the insurance company because there was a lot of overtime money spent on that. So, um, listeners, we're speaking with Chuck Williams, Moab City's engineer, about a few things. Um, the big thing, 100 West is going through a permanent water line repair project that's happening imminently, 
um, today, <laughs> as, yeah. as Chuck just informed us, for about three to four weeks. Let's see, there's also the 400 East waterline replacement um, on the docket, as well as some temporary fixes for structural um, issues on our bridges, and then the question mark of sidewalk repair and handrail repair. Did I get everything, Chuck? Is that on your horizon line? <laughs> I think that's those are the major items, Molly. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I if I can, I, one thing I'd like to say to the li- listeners is that uh, these job sites are are dangerous, and we put up traffic control not only for the traveling motorists but also for pedestrians. And we, I, I would really encourage people to pay attention to it. Like when we detour sidewalks. Take the detour. If you're out for a walk, just change your walk for a few weeks. You know, if you used to go across that Mill Creek pedestrian bridge, go up to Main Street, walk around it. Then you, I mean, that's what we're talking about is because it endangers not only uh, the members of the public who go across into those work zones, but it also endangers the workers. I mean, we're going to have 15 to 20 foot deep excavation holes on this 100 water, uh, 100 West water line. We don't want people falling into that, you know, after hours or during hours, you know. So I just, it's a, a plea that people respect traffic control and, and what it means. They, you know, they may think it doesn't matter to them, but it matters to everyone. So. I know that's been an issue for Moab City since day one with the flood, right? Um, putting caution tape and then um, it getting knocked over or just people ignoring oh. the signs. I know, uh, people ignore them, but they also uh, destroy them. We've yeah. lost thousands of dollars worth of traffic control wow. uh, stuff because people pick them up and throw them aside. Wow. That's just, in my opinion, it's just disrespectful and, and it's dangerous like, because while they leave it and walk through there, the next person coming through might not, doesn't have the ability to know that it's a danger zone. Sure, sure. That's why we fenced in this project. <laughs> All right, Chuck, thank you for that plea. I know that's one that Moab City's uh, leaders and lawmakers have been saying for quite some time. Before you go, I'm hoping you could talk. We did talk a little bit about um, potential reimbursements, insurance, but with the 100 West um, waterline, what kind of cost are are we talking about? Sure. So the 100 West project is right at $300,000. And I believe that the insurance is going to pay for that entire cost. Of course, there's a deductible on the insurance that once it's all said and done, we'll pay a deductible, which could be on the order of hundreds of thousands of dollars. But this project itself is right at 300,000 and it will be covered by the insurance. They've told us that. Okay. As will 400 400 East when we move over there. And will 400 East be a similar cost? It's about 330,000 because it's a longer uh, stretch of pipe. It's $30,000 more length of pipe, I guess. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. When I know you've done several presentations to Moab City Council members, but is there an estimated total cost of this flood right now? Since in in the month, ensuing months, um, is there a clearer picture, I guess, that Moab City has? Yeah, we're on the order of between four and six million dollars. And the reason I say that is we haven't costed, I mean, we've costed everything, but we haven't gone out to bid right. on everything. And, uh, you know, we had a hard time finding rock. And then we found this rock that we're going to use for the temporary. And it's, 
$30,000 worth of rock. And we, we thought it'd be more. So we're, we're pleased with that, that less money to spend. Um, but it, it's on the order of four to, four to six million. And I'm only sorry just to give you that range because one of the things that we're uh, working on right now is how much the cleanup cost is. Sure. And that's a difficult, uh, it's a lot of uh, tracking of time cards, et cetera. But we were able to do it. And we're talking repairs. We're not just talking, you know, future visioning, right? Oh, right. We're, yeah, this is, this is just for repairs. This, these, these aren't for upgrades. Right. Yeah, these are just to repair the infrastructure that was damaged because of the, the August 20th flood. Well, this is an exciting time to be an engineer for Moab City. <laughs> it's a busy time, certainly. Right. Sure. And an interesting time. And uh, fortunately, you know, it takes a lot of people. Our public works crews have done a great job in the cleanup. And, uh, you know, the parks department has as well. Uh, just that, you know, I'm lucky enough to kind of lead the efforts for the uh, permanent repairs themselves. Well, thank you so much, Chuck, for being with us. Again, listeners, there's um, a few projects, infrastructure projects that are slated to happen. The first major one is 100 West uh, Waterline Repair Work. Um, before you go, Chuck, you know, what is on your mind as when it comes to um, not just repair, but also, you know, future mitigation? For flooding? For flooding, yeah. Well, I've put together a scope of work, a draft scope of work for a drainage corridor plan that council is considering uh, how to pursue, what they would like to pursue, if anything. And, you know, we would evaluate alternatives, which would range from, well, we're going to just repair it to where it was and hope it doesn't happen again for 50 years to going in and mitigation measures like detention basins, or increasing the stabilization on some of the uh, infrastructure like the bridges and um, the water lines and sewer lines. So, you know, I believe that we need that master planning effort. That's typically how we um, start uh, projects is with a plan. Then we go an alternatives analysis and then we come up with a preferred a recommended solution and then we'll find a way to fund it and implement it. So, that's in motion right now. I just not can't give you much more of a definitive answer because I don't really know which way council wants to go yet. They're they're cogitating on that at this point. Saying hopefully we'll have a discussion with them. I think in the next few weeks we'll be talking about that. Okay. All right. So more on potential um, flood mitigation, I guess, at the city council meetings ahead. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Chuck. Anything else to say before we go? No, thanks for your interest in what we're doing. And if you have more questions, feel free to ask. Thanks, Molly. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Chuck. All right. That was uh, Chuck Williams, Moab City's engineer, um, speaking to us about various infrastructure um, projects, including uh, the 100 West permanent water line repair that is happening uh, imminently. Today, I believe, was the first day. Um, we are going to take a short break, and then we'll be back with Abby Taylor from Sea Haven, um, who's going to tell us all about that organization and what they've got going on in the coming months. So stay with us. It's Casey of Mumo. I'm Community Radio. You are tuned in on 106.7 and 90.1. This is This Week in Moab. We just took a little music break um, to get settled in with our next guest, 
Abigail Taylor. Hello. Welcome to This Week in Moab. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. So Abby is the Executive Director of Seek Haven Family Crisis and Resource Center. Tell us a little bit about what your organization does for the uninitiated, I suppose. Sure. Um, Seek Haven's been around for about 32 years now, and we initially started out as a emergency shelter and um, eventually we specialize towards domestic violence sexual assault services which um, a lot of people don't know but over 50 percent of um, cases of homelessness and women and children is is generally due to domestic violence happening in the home so there was a very very quick specialization um, for that need in our community and and we've been operating that way for quite a while now um In addition to emergency shelter, we also have um, advocacy services, financial aid, transition assistance, um, helping people get into new homes um, and accomplish certain goals in order to live healthy, stable lives. Mm. Um, We also have some prevention programming as well to ideally end cycles of violence before they occur and Um, certain things we're focusing on right now is um, the outdoor recreation industry and um, hoping Mm. to prevent sexual assault and harassment from happening in those spaces and in the workplace. Um, And we're also gearing up to um, expand our prevention programming to focus on youth again. It's been a while since we've been able to work with youth due to grant funding, but Mm. um, it's really important work and it's really needed and we're excited to provide that again. All right. So Seekeven is doing a lot on the crisis side and the Mm -hmm. prevention side. Right. That's kind of a dual mission. Mm -hmm. Um, And prevention, of course, is important because you need to reduce um, violence in all Mm -hmm. all forms. And with youth, you said you've had various programs. What are you looking forward to there when it comes to, I know it's grant funded, as you said. Right. And and what's excited about what's exciting about the grant funding we have currently is that it's really flexible and okay. that's something that we haven't had in the past. Right. And our community is so different than all of these other communities that have similar funding. So for us that flexibility is what I'm most excited about and we're looking for ways to collaborate with community partners and provide really holistic programming that not only teaches, you know, healthy relationships but also empowerment self-empowerment and and how do I you know I'm saying like like I'm a young kid but uh, (laughs) like who who am I and and how do I want to engage in the world and what kind of relationships Mm. do I want Mm. to have and and how do I create boundaries but also what am I interested in and life skills development that kind of stuff so the fact that it's so flexible I think is what's what's the most exciting to me. Um, mm. It's all dependent on, on uh, hiring for this position, uh, prevention coordinator posi- position. Um, but we've we've had some really great interviews and people um, coming in f- uh, to check out the job. But um, nice. once we once we have the person hired, then we'll get to really roll <laughs> it out. But super excited to collaborate with uh, the Crown County School District in the meantime and other nonprofits to get some ideas rolling. And um, yeah. Neat. So it can basically fill whatever need is out there currently. It doesn't have to yeah. be like, oh, this is for an after school program or right, right, cool. right. That and and it and it might be after school program. It might right. be you know like a youth council thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're not quite sure yet, but the focus, the the bit of a curriculum that we'll have is based on one law foundation, which teaches 
um, the 10 signs of a healthy relationship and the 10 signs of an unhealthy relationship. What's really great about it is it's plug and play. We're able to work with really any age um, and we don't have to talk about sex. And I think that's Mm -hmm. something that Mm -hmm. a lot of people in this state struggle with is they don't Mm -hmm. want to talk about sex or, or, or prophylactics or anything like that. We're, we're just talking about what does it look to have a healthy relationship with your parents, with your friends, mm-hmm. and, and maybe if someone you're dating, you know? Right. And if you have these things established at an early age, you're not going to enter an unhealthy romantic relationship, and therefore those occurrences of sexual violence or domestic violence will likely be lower. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's the, that's the idea. Um, the idea. Yeah. yeah. I feel like those, like you said, those signs of a healthy relationships or signs of unhealthy relationships, those those seem to me like basic life schools that we could all use. Right, right. Yeah. But getting those examples at a young age, right. man, I, I, I wish I learned some of those myself. <laughs> me too. Um, I mean, so, sometimes relationships, they're so exciting at the beginning, right? right. But if they're mm-hmm. evolving really quickly, that's actually a bad sign. And that's mm-hmm. something that I really love is they mm-hmm. really... Um, make it simple for you. And, and again, some things that have been glorified by the media or glorified by our society in some ways, it actually breaks it down. Like that's not healthy and this is why, mm. and this is what you should be looking for instead. Um, mm. Yeah. It's a really great curriculum. Check out onelove.org. Yeah. I know when you watch like certain movies or TV shows, I feel like those relationships mm-hmm. that are portrayed that are coming in at us all the time yeah. have some problems. Yep. They really so. do. And and if you don't know better, if you don't get those conversations yeah. at home or at school, then you might think that that's romance and mm-hmm. then that that's cool or sexy or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not healthy. Yeah. All right. So in addition to searching for this prevention coordinator, Seekhaven also has a a pretty big staff. Like any Mm -hmm. other exciting projects you've got going on right now? We have um, been working with other first responders in the community to create a first responder alliance. Mm -hmm. That's just recognizing that we all have gone through a lot and we all see a lot, um, but we also work together really frequently and sometimes we just don't know each other very well mm. so that's something that CQ has been working on um it's like I'm reminding myself oh gosh I gotta send out all these emails <laughs> sure <laughs> get, get this back on track but um we had a really great brunch in um the fall and we had like 40 uh, first responders show up and it was really oh. awesome to see like all these different folks just talking and being people together. Um, now first responders from law yeah. enforcement to like EMS. Yep, exactly. Okay. So lo- lots of law enforcement, EMS was there. Um, Seek Haven, I think, was the only like advocacy program mm-hmm. specifically. But um, we also want to op- open it up to healthcare providers as well. Um, again, we just we just see so much and so often are we the person that – here's a disclosure or, or see someone in this like really critical space. Mm-hmm. Um, and the vicarious trauma is just so high. And, and I recognize that we at CK even don't see some of the things that other community partners do. And it's a really great way mm-hmm. for us to build that, that empathy for them as well, that, you know, we're all seeing different stuff. We're all carrying a load, but we all, it's lighter if we're helping each other out. So um, in addition to, some of these more general like enriching experiences um our our aim is to also have some um training opportunities um or even looking at maybe like a a peer support type of program 
um, as mm. well. That's a little bit more formalized. We'll need funding and things like that. But um, yeah, that's something that I'm really excited about personally. And I know Seacaven in the past under your leadership and others have mm-hmm. um, really worked to do these collaborations, not just with all first responders, yeah. but with law enforcement specifically. Mm-hmm. You implemented the Lethality Assessment Program. Tell us about those relationships with law enforcement. Yeah, um, they are really great right now. And I think that there were times, you know, I'll say it, there were times I, I didn't think it would be as good as it is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so thankful for the folks that we have in leadership right now. Chief Garcia has been a dream to work with. Lex Bell has been great. Um, um, the detectives that we get to work with are also mm-hmm. awesome. Um, and I'm really excited to get to sit down with uh Jameson Wiggins over in the sheriff's office. He's yeah. he is so focused on the community and that preventive policing um, between him and Garcia that I, I think that we're going to be really productive and get a lot done um, in the very near future. Um, the mm-hmm. lethality assessment program is um, something that Garcia is reintroducing right now. It's kind of it's been on hold for a little while, but. Um, yeah, he's he's been working on that with the city police. Um, we're still figuring out exactly how that referral system is going to occur with Seacaven. Okay. But they, um, both the sheriff's office and city police, they utilize their victim advocate. Um, his name is Nathaniel. They they utilize him really well, and he he oftentimes then makes the referral to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he'll deal with that more crisis space and then turn over to us for that like long term um, care. Um, but yeah, things are going really well. The fact that we're getting as many referrals as we are from these agencies is just is really great. Um, and that's when you see, um, you're, you're not going to see as, um, as much recidivism. So that's Mm -hmm. when like, um, you see, um, these crimes happening over and over again, Mm -hmm. um, or you're seeing, um, victims leaving unsafe situations and, and we're not seeing homicide. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. so those, those referral processes are so important um and they're happening and i'm and i'm just pleased as punch so um still some work to be done in in regards of formalizing the processes and and you know maybe having some mous or or (laughs) specific uh policies procedures written out but the referrals are happening the relationships are there and i am so proud of all of us to be where we're at right now. Wow. Okay. So you're feeling pretty hopeful yes. when it comes to these new administrations and yeah. um, law enforcement and other partner agencies as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Vict- I Shout out to Victim Assistance Unit and uh, Children's Justice Center and EMS. Um, they're all just so incredible to work with. And yeah. It brings to mind, of course, mm-hmm. this important phrase called multidisciplinary mm-hmm. collaboration. Can you talk about that? I mean, in yeah. in terms of like, um, you know, Utah just experienced um, a pretty horrific mm-hmm. murder-suicide event um, in our state. Yeah. And um, can you talk about that multidisciplinary collaboration in terms of, of um, what just happened? Yeah, definitely. Um, deaths like that are, are preventable. That's what a lot of people in my field say um and what happened was that um a family of eight um are are no longer with us and have all died um from um a murder suicide and this i don't know if it's categorized as a a a mass shooting or what but um 
And in this specific case, we see that um, there have been um, interactions with law enforcement and other agencies before the incident happened. Mm. Um, It's very possible that people in the family might have even been working with an agency like Sea Caven. Mm. Um, And the reason why the, the family was discovered or the incident was discovered was a a wellness check um, because people were worried all right um, about the 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 family and and what was going on so when we talk about multidisciplinary um, responses or collaboration it's it's when these agencies are working together to make those proper referrals in the first place. Mm. Um, but also, if we if we have something like the lethality assessment program, we're understanding the risks that are involved, and mm. we assess for the risks in the first place, right? And we're and we're not we're not minimizing them, and and we're able to work with each other in order to prevent um, something like this from happening in the first place. So, ideally. Um, and and again, I don't I don't know exactly what happened. I don't know who was involved. Um, right. I my assumption is that people did a pretty good job. And and um, while the the term these deaths are preventable is 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 used very frequently, um, it's a hard thing to actually yeah. say when push comes to shove because who knows. Um, but um, yeah, what we see in in lethality assessment program. Um, there's a lot of data that backs up the program itself, and, and it's actually technically a study that's ongoing mm. um, nationwide. Um, but there are instances where families or couples that are going through situations like this and where things might be escalating to where a homicide might occur, um, there are certain signs. And, and oftentimes they are interacting with an agency like law enforcement or say EMS or mm-hmm. a healthcare mm-hmm. provider and not necessarily an agency like Seek Haven. Right. So that's when it's really important that um, those referrals happen and that there's collaboration between those agencies because they're the first responders to those situations in the first place. They might not, those individuals that are victims of these crimes of, of intimate partner violence or say sexual assault, they might not know about the resources that are available to them. So ideally what's happening is that that first responder can say, you know, first be be trauma-informed and have a really trauma-informed response. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't deserve this. I'm so sorry. Um, thank mm-hmm. you for letting me be here with you right now. Maybe they do the assessment um, and they mm-hmm. say, I'm, I'm, I need you to know people in this situation have been killed and I want, um, I, I want you to be healthy and happy. Um, I encourage you to talk to Seek Haven. Let me get you on the phone with them, you know. Sure. Um, and, then, and then we are able to provide emergency shelter um, right away, provide financing for, um, you know, moving into a new home or getting new locks or, you know, the the things that we pay for is is, uh, the list is huge and it's always (laughs) different for every person because their lives are different. So we can provide counseling and other things that are, you know, maybe not, not so emergency based, but we're able to provide those things that do help them move away from that crisis and ideally Mm -hmm. remove themselves from danger. Um, but again, that, that real magic happens in that handoff. And when we are working together, those referrals happen, people are engaged with services, people receive treatment, and um, again, ideally, homicides aren't occurring, let alone further abuse. 
but yeah well so it sounds like with ck vin's perspective collaboration is absolutely critical it's key absolutely well thank you for going through all that um you know what about being an advocate in your own life either for yourself or your friends and family yeah i um that's a great question is something that comes up pretty often actually um just in personal conversations with community members Mm -hmm. you know i i know this person they're going through this what do i do what Mm -hmm. do i do Mm -hmm. and the first thing i always say is thank them for talking to you about it Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and and just make it a safe space because the minute you start you know telling them what they need to do Mm -hmm. they're gonna shut down they're Mm -hmm. not gonna want to open up to you again so make it a safe space say thank you for telling me about that that must have been that Mm -hmm. takes a lot you're really brave to talk to me and I'm honored to be here with you Mm -hmm. um in this moment where you're vulnerable you're scared um but we're gonna work through this together um those referrals just like a you know first responder ems law enforcement you're also a first responder as a friend or as a loved one or maybe an employer or mm. you know as a coworker. Right. um what um what services do you need what are, are you safe at home um and something that we refer to is, is it's called safety planning so um you know, when are you unsafe? Um, how can we prevent you from being in that unsafe space again? So for some people, it's, you know, knowing the schedule of the person that is um, unsafe mm, and, sure. and working around it or, sure. you know, mm-hmm. calling um, calling a friend or a loved one at a certain time to do check-ins and make sure that that person is safe. And, and if I don't receive that call from you, or if I call and you don't pick up, then I'm calling law enforcement, you know, or or something like that. So safety planning is also a huge, huge deal. But um, and and right. those referrals to for them to access services. But again, that first thing is is always going to be create a safe space and and mm-hmm. understand where that person is coming from. Um, people ultimately make the best decisions for their own lives you know given their situation Mm. because they know more about their situation than you ever will Mm. um so we got to leave that judgment at the door really open our minds and our hearts and and hear that person out and just provide as much support as possible so yeah creating the safe space is number one Okay. See if you've been um, open to receiving questions. Like if someone does have a friend who they're worried about, um, do you have yeah. staff on hand to, to talk it through? Absolutely. Yeah. Call yeah. our hotline, um, 435-259-2229. Um, and one of our staff members will, will answer, um, and help bring you through that. Maybe ask some questions about what's going on and, um, we, we might also provide some referrals of, of things that might be, you know, specific to their situation um, or just explain exactly what it is that we can do um, because that's not always clear to mm-hmm. people, right? right. Um, our unofficial slogan has been we're more than just a shelter. So <laughs> we mm-hmm. have to list it out sometimes for folks. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, feel free mm-hmm. to call us anytime. Our, our hotline is um, available 24-7. We're speaking with Abigail Taylor, the executive director of Sea Caven Family Crisis and Resource Center. Before we go, I want to make sure that we talk about putting on the Ritz yeah. because this is a huge fundraiser for Sea Caven and it's just around the corner. It is. 
It really is around the corner. <laughs> You're getting I, nervous yeah, about getting it. Nervous. <laughs> I wake up in the middle of the night. Only, only a couple times <laughs> no a week. big deal. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> so tell us about the fundraiser. You know, it, this has been a long time thing for Seahaven, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, and it's been one of the only opportunities for folks to get out, uh-huh. engage in the community um, in the middle of the winter. So <laughs> sure. it's got a place in a lot of people's hearts, for sure. We haven't had the Ritz for a couple of years due to COVID, and, and so we're we're kind of rusty getting back into that <laughs> fundraising. Sure. I'm speaking for myself and not sure. and not our fundraising committee. It's really just myself. But, um, yeah, super excited. Um, we are so thankful we get to uh, hold the event, the Hoodoo again, and they've been just so awesome to work with. What a great team. Um, but it's going to be on February 11th. Um, we will have dinner and a silent auction. Mm. And the silent auction is actually, I'm, I'm very excited for this personally. The items will be there in person, but you'll need to bid on your cell phone and oh. you know, check out on your cell phone and things like that. So oh, um, upgrade on the technology. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm very excited. It, uh. I after thinking about it for a while, it's actually going to be a lot easier in the long run. So yeah, silent auction, and it's just been, it's been awesome to work with um, community businesses and and donors, um, both for the silent auction and for our sponsors. Yeah, that's probably my favorite thing about the silent auction is just seeing how many amazing artists we have in the community mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. folks that are just they're excited to contribute and I right. get to hear them talk about our mission and it's, mm-hmm. it's just so exciting um, but yeah we're looking for more more silent auction donors and sponsors you might get a phone call from me in the near future <laughs> and watch other, out yeah watch out <laughs> um, but yeah uh, sponsors we have uh, three tiers for sponsors one thousand dollars fifteen hundred and, and two thousand dollars and that comes with a table and uh, you know a lot of um recognition and um if folks want to come um and buy a table or just buy a ticket it's sixty dollars per person um we will be including a charge for this silent auction as well um just because the prices of everything has raised mm. so much mm-hmm. in the past couple of years. And, um, you know, it, it, it is a fundraiser. We're here to make money. Um, and we really appreciate everybody for understanding. We will raise ticket prices next year, but, um, but yeah, there will be a charge for the silent auction. But how yeah. much? And you know, this is a fundraiser. You know, yep. this is supporting Seekhaven and your mission. And this is, um, I'm guessing, this is unrestricted funds. Yes. So this means that you can use this in ways that really mm-hmm. you need to. Right. Um. And you know, how much money are you hoping to fundraise through putting on the Ritz? What's I, the magic number? The magic number would be fifty thousand dollars. All right, fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, I'm hopeful. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, just gotta meditate about that one um but yeah unrestricted funds exactly molly um Mm -hmm. being able to have flexible money Mm -hmm. that we we can choose what we do with it is is really important Mm -hmm. we're funded by so many government grants um and they're just so restrictive in in what we're able to do and you know our, our work just, just like I was saying earlier, you know, we have a list of things that we can do with our clients because every situation is different. We're navigating so many strange things in our fields that we need flexible money. We need to be, um, we need that type of funding. Um, but also as we as we work towards improving and expanding our services, um, we we need that flexible money to to continue on this path right. of improving what we can do and, and what we provide to our community. Right. 
Well, thank you so much. Um, remind us, when is Putting on the Ritz again? February 11th at the Hoodoo. Um, and if you go to seacaven.org slash Ritz, pretty much all the information you need is there. You can buy tickets, um, sign up to be a sponsor, um, and sign up to be a silent auction donor. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Abby, for coming up. Um, Anything else on your mind before we go? No, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. It looks like we do have a few minutes to play a pre-recorded interview. This was done by KZMU volunteer Richard Codd, who hosts Art Talks. Um, And he wanted to get this interview in because there's a meeting coming up. It's an open house, kind of a question and answer session about uh, the RAP tax grant program. And the RAP tax is a Moab City tax that funds recreation, arts, and parks projects in the city and also for nonprofits. Um, so this is that nonprofit funding um, side of things. So Richard spoke with Annie McVeigh, who's the director of the parks in Moab City. And so we'll play that interview now to learn a little bit more about this program. Hi, this is Richard Codd from Art Talks, and I'm here today with Annie McVeigh from the city of Moab. She's the director of the Arts and Recreation Department, and she's here today to talk about the RAP tax. Welcome, Annie. Welcome. It's good to be here. Hey, tell me, what is the RAP tax? The RAP tax is the Recreation, Arts, and Parks, so that's the RAP tax, and it is a tax that the voters approved um, back in 2020 um, that will go towards fixing or implementing new um, aspects of recreation, arts, and parks in our Moab community. This is a state program, right? It is a state program, but every community needs to have it approved locally um, to enact. And the county doesn't have one? The county does not. Okay. So it's it's here in Moab, and, and what what can we do with it? What is it? Yeah, it's a great program. So it's 0.1 of 1% of a sa- of the sales tax um, within city limits of Moab. Um, and our first year, we collected about $465,000. Um, obviously, that amount will fluctuate from year to year depending on tax revenue. And it can go towards a wide variety of things, but obviously related to recreation, arts, and parks. And it, who can apply? Well, there's two aspects of this. Um, Each community that has a wrap tax um, handles it how it best serves their community. Um, For the first year within Moab, 80% of the wrap tax will go towards city projects and 20% will be eligible for community grants. Um, And so local nonprofit community or entities or someone that's partnering with a nonprofit. So I think an example of that we have existing programs that might apply. Um, It might be the Folk Fest might apply. Um, There has been some art competitions in the past or art shows. And those would be people that we know apply. And we're also excited to see who might be out there that can provide a new project or programming Okay, and, and who's making the decisions on on who gets funded? Yeah, so and that's another area where communities have an opportunity or have discretion of how this is handled. Um, we've heard from the public that they really wanted this to be a public process, and so the city has um, enacted a Recreation, Arts, and Parks Advisory Committee, and that is a group of um, five local residents, um, 
that have specialty in arts or parks um, or general citizens, and they are the ones that will be reviewing the applications, and they'll make their recommendations to city council. And full disclosure, I am a member of the RAP Tax Committee. So the program is going to be a multi-year program, right? Yes, we get the RAP Tax um, annually, and so okay. we'll do annual awards um, for the for the program. And this is our first year, so um, if there's any changes or anything that we need to make, adaptations of things that we learned this first year, sure. we'll make those changes sure. for the next year. And approximately how much money will the uh, RAP Tax Committee be? Uh, yeah, so for the community grant side of things, it's $93,000. Um, and we have, um, or the committee has decided that they would like um, no more than 25% to go to any one entity. And, and that's a substantial amount of money for Moab. And, and that will continue something in that ballpark. Yes, we think that might be hopefully the average. Um, and it is. It's a considerable amount of money. And it's exciting to see where it might go. Yeah, yeah, because there's, there's so much happening with the arts in Moab. And this, is, to me, seems like a terrific opportunity mm-hmm. um, to help all of these uh, groups and individuals grow and provide even more spectacular art here. Mm-hmm. How do people find out more about the program? Um, well, we have the website, so if you go to the City of Moab website, the Recreation Arts and Parks has its own page. Um, it'll have the application on there, the guidelines, also contact information. And then another great opportunity is on January 11th um, from 4 to 6 p.m. We'll have an open house over at the Mark. Um, no formal presentation, but an opportunity staff will be there. Some of the rep committee members will be there, and it'll be a question and an answer session to kind of start off the application process. Excellent. So again, you can follow the rep tax online if you're interested in applying. Uh, again, go to the city website, which is uh-huh. moabcity.org, and go through the application. There are some things you can do, some things you can't use the funds for. So that that's explained there, and there'll be more information about that at the open house. So... Uh, Annie, I want to thank you very much for coming and talking about this exciting new opportunity for arts and recreation and um, the parks here in Moab. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. We are very excited to, to have this available to the community and also see what projects we get. All right. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks. All right, thank you to KZMU volunteer Richard Codd for spending a little time with Annie McVeigh of the Parks Department at Moab City. They were talking about the RAP Tax Grant Program. Um, That grant is available now to apply for um, arts, parks, and uh, recreation-related projects. So you can check that out on the Moab City website. You've been listening to This Week in Moab. I'm Molly Marcello. Stay tuned for more programming from KZMU. And you can check out this episode and others at kzmu.org under the Public Affairs tab. Thanks so much for being here.